Today I'm continuing our teaching on hardness of heart. And I believe that this will really help you. This is a teaching that has transformed my life. And it's not something that you just learn one time and then you put it behind you and boom, you're over with it and you move on to the next thing. These truths that I'm sharing with you are something that I use every single day of my life. It is that important. And the very first teaching, I just begin to explain what is a hardened heart. What are the characteristics or the symptoms of a hardened heart? And I tell you, I spent a lot of time developing this because there was a time in my life when I was convinced that I didn't have a hardened heart towards God. I thought that was just people who were God-haters. But through the Scriptures, God began to let me see that any area of your life where you are cold, insensitive, unfeeling, or unyielding towards God, then that's an area that is hardened towards God. That's what the word hardened means, cold, insensitive, unfeeling, or unyielding. And I promise you, you aren't going to go very far if your heart is hardened towards the Lord. There's so many scriptures I could go into. But uh, let me turn over to Proverbs chapter 4. In verse 23, it says, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. What this is basically saying is that your heart is what determines how your life goes. Another scripture that goes right along with this is Proverbs chapter 23, verse 7, that says, For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. The way that your heart is going is the way that your life is going. If you don't like the way your life is going, what most people try and do is to pray and ask God to change the results. But they don't start by asking God to change their heart. In other words, what they're wanting to do is to get an outward answer without any inward change. If you first of all would change your heart, then your outward circumstances will change. Boy, that's a mouthful. I don't know if you understood that right there, but this is just, I mean, the opposite. Totally different than the way most people approach change. You know, let me just give you some examples. I'm really wanting to get this point across because it is vital that you understand how important what I'm saying here about the hardness or the sensitivity of your heart. You have to understand how important that is. Say, for instance, if you're wanting to lose weight, did you know most people will do nearly anything to lose weight? They'll get their stomach stapled. They will have operations where they have this liposuction and pull out the fat. They'll cut things off. They will go on extreme diets. Uh, They do things that damage their body. I mean, most people are just after the end results. That's all that they're after. But did you know that actually weight is nothing but a uh, reaction or a result of inner things? Here's another way of saying this. Did you know you cannot get fat off of eating one meal, gorging yourself on one meal? That's not what happens. You, you could eat until you literally got so sick that you threw it all up or that you passed out or did something, and I guarantee you, you cannot get fat off of one meal like that. You have to do it over. You have to eat more than you need, more often than you need it, and do that over and over and over and over and over and over again. It is a lifestyle. It's a continuation, and it really stems from values and attitudes that you have on the inside. It's not a physical thing. It's actually a mental or an emotional thing that causes us to be overweight. 
Now, you may disagree with that and think, who am I? But this is what the Scripture says. Proverbs chapter 23 and Ecclesiastes. There's many Scriptures that the Lord's shown me these kind of things. The real Here's another way of saying it. The real problem with being overweight is gluttony. Your desire, your lust for food, eating more than you need, more often than you need it. That is the problem, is gluttony. Losing weight or gaining weight isn't the issue. That is just a visible symptom that you see. And of course, that's embarrassing to a lot of people. It's damaging to your health. And so people will try and do whatever to get rid of the weight. But they don't ever deal with the root of the problem, which is gluttony. But on the other hand, if you would just change the gluttony, if you would get to where I am never going to eat when I'm full, I am not going to eat beyond the past of being comfortably full. I will never gorge myself. I am not going to be a glutton. And I am not going to eat when I'm not hungry. If you would just do that, not eat when you aren't hungry and when you get full, stop. If you would do that, I guarantee it's impossible for you to be overweight. You would not be fat if you didn't eat more than you are supposed to eat more often than you're supposed to eat. Bottom line, end of discussion. And you know, the bottom line is people are after these results, but they don't want to change the way that they are. They want to just pig out. They love food. They love food more than they should. They want to overindulge. They want to eat until they nearly get sick. That desire is the problem and the weight is just an end result of it. So most people are out to change the results without changing their heart. The Bible says it's just the opposite. Change your heart and you will get different results. That's the way that it is. Some people are out to get off of drugs and off of alcohol, and their whole goal is to quit taking these abusive substances. And so they'll go through these programs that restrain. They have accountability groups where people are constantly checking in on them, and they just can't get by with it. And so they stop the action, and they think, that's great, that's what I'm after. But you know what? If you still are an addictive person in your heart, well, then you hadn't really gotten free. You may no longer be damaging your body, but the root of that thing is just sitting there festering and growing and given the right set of circumstances, or I could probably say the wrong set of circumstances, put into a negative environment, you're going to go back to indulging that thing because you never were delivered of the root cause of the thing. There's people that go out and commit adultery and they think, I've got to quit doing this. And so they make themselves accountable to other people. They may put themselves in a circumstance where they can't go commit adultery. They've got people accountable and all these things. But if you're still lusting in your heart, Jesus said that if you lust in your heart, you're just as guilty if you go out and commit it. People don't want to deal with the heart issues People are carnal. They look on external things and think, if I can just change these results. But brothers and sisters, it's one of the great life lessons to learn that if you have negative results, go to the heart reason that causes these negative results. Change yourself at the heart level. And then just like these scriptures are saying, Proverbs 23, 7, as you think in your heart, that's the way you will be. You can temporarily, occasionally function, say, do something different than what is really real in your heart, but the dominant force of your life, the dominant direction of your life is going to go exactly where your heart is going. 
So you've got to protect your hearts, what it says in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. So, man, that is a powerful truth. So we've already taken these scriptures talking about that if you are surprised to see the supernatural power of God, if it's easier for you to relate to defeat than it is to victory, if it's easier for you to relate to being sick than it is being supernaturally healed, if it's easier for you to relate to being poor and doing without than it is to have abundance, if it's easier for you to relate to rejection than it is acceptance, any of these issues, well, then that's an instance or an indication, a symptom that you have a hardened heart. You know, in my own life, this is pretty recent. Back in 2002, January the 31st of 2002, the Lord showed me how I had limited God by the way I was thinking in my heart. And there was a number of things that he showed me, but one of them is, and I'm just really giving you a small slice of this. This may uh, open you up to more questions, and I've got an entire album on just how that God spoke these things to me and how he told me to take the limits off of God. That's a separate teaching. But anyway, the Lord showed me that I had limited him in a number of ways. And one of the things that was limiting was that I had suffered so much rejection so much criticism over ministry and over the things that I taught that, you know what, I had gotten gun shy and I literally was intentionally not sane and being open and bold with some of the things that God has shown me because I just didn't relish the rejection that went with it. And so, you know what, that was a heart issue and I had to adjust in my heart and say, you know what, I am going to say what God wants me to regardless of the response. That was one of the things. Another thing that he showed me was that I had been excluded and rejected, not necessarily through persecution, but just through nobody know who knew who I was. They didn't appreciate the message that I was sharing and stuff like that. I had become so accustomed to rejection and, and people ignoring me that I couldn't see myself being accepted. I couldn't see myself being a major player and really impacting the body of Christ. You know what? That's another heart issue. And as I go into a great expense or a great uh, effort to explain in this uh, album, when I made a decision and said that I was going to change, I called my staff together. I said, here's the problem. Here's what's been happening. And I said, I don't know if it takes a week, a month, a year, five years, 10 years, whatever it takes to change, but I'm changing. And when I made that heart change, I mean, I was shocked with how quickly everything began to change. Doors opened up. Since that time, our ministry has quadrupled at least. We are reaching more people. Everything has changed because it started with a heart issue. I'm trying to get across to you. Many of you are wanting change. You don't have any arguments. You say that things have got to change. My marriage has got to change. My finances have got to change. My health has got to change. My relationship with God has got to change. I'm not interacting with people. And you got all of these areas that you want change. And you are praying for change out there. But you aren't recognizing that the real limit on what God can do in your life is right on the inside of you. It's your heart issue. It's a hardened heart. Areas of your life where you have just embraced and accepted and settled for mediocrity. That's the issue right there. If you could change your heart, if your heart could quit being hardened 
and insensitive to God. And instead, if you could reverse that and begin to start being sensitive to God, I guarantee you, you would get totally different results. So I'm saying all of these things just to impress upon you that this teaching that God has shown me and that I'm sharing with you, I believe it's vital. As I go further into this teaching, this is going to be another major point that we make, is that it takes time for your heart to change. It doesn't change quickly, which some people see that as a great negative, And they say, I wish God would have made it differently. But you know what? It's actually a positive thing because even though it takes time to take a hardened heart and to sensitize it towards God and it takes effort and time, the positive side of that is that once you get that heart sensitive to God, it doesn't just change like that and go back to being insensitive. It takes time. It takes process. And if you understand this teaching on hardness of heart, the moment you begin to start recognizing any of these symptoms of a hardened heart, you can stop that process. And so this means that you can't just fall off of the wagon with God accidentally. It doesn't happen in just a moment's period of time. It takes a long period of time to harden your heart towards God. It takes a long period of time to sensitize your heart towards God. But once you get it there, it takes a long period of time to go back the other direction. You can actually take all of these truths that we're talking about our heart and how it becomes hardened towards God and you can use these things for positive reasons and apply them to your life and it'll make a tremendous, tremendous difference. Man, I'm excited about that. I don't know if you understood the importance of what I've just said, but I tell you what, if people could grab hold of this, this would reduce the Christian life to being very, very simple. It's not hard. It's not complicated. It just takes effort, and it takes effort over a prolonged period of time. That's all it is. Let's go back to Mark chapter 6, and let me show you these verses where Jesus came walking on the water to the disciples. The disciples saw him. They were shocked. They were amazed. They were about to be drowned in this storm, and Jesus was walking on top of the very thing that was killing them. And they cried out for fear. The Lord told them not to have any fear. He came into the boat. He stilled the wind and the storm. And the boat and the disciples were translated to the other side of the lake. Now that's from John chapter 6. Not all of that is revealed here in Mark chapter 6. This is also recorded in John chapter 6, the beginning verses. And then in Matthew chapter 14, it gives the exact same instance. And in Matthew's account of this, he adds a piece of information that we don't get in Mark or in John. And that is that this is where Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water to go to Jesus too. So you have to put Matthew 14, Mark chapter 6, and John chapter 6 together to get that full picture. But this is what had happened. They were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure and wondered in Mark chapter 6 verse 51. And in verse 52, it says, "...for they considered not the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was hardened." So it tells you that the reason they were shocked, amazed, surprised to see this miraculous demonstration of the power of God was because their heart was hardened. And in the first part of that verse, it says, for they considered not the miracle of the loaves. This is what caused their heart to become hardened. Now this is really profound. You know, I I hesitate to just move on when I know that this is such a simple truth, most people are going to miss this. You know, Charles Capps, I heard him say this many, many years ago. I think it was Charles Capps or Kenneth Copeland. He says, this is so simple, you got to have somebody to help you to misunderstand it. 
And we've had so much help misunderstanding the Word of God. Some of you are just missing this, but think about this. This passage of Scripture is telling you what causes your heart to become hardened. We've already established that a hardened heart is a terrible thing that will make you basically spiritually retarded to God. Now we're tracing it back to its source. What is it that caused the disciple's heart to become hardened? This is profound. And this applies to every one of us. So please pay attention. This could transform your life. It says, here's here's what caused it. For they considered not the miracle of the loaves. Now again, this is so simple. Don't miss it. Let me just say it this way and then I'll go into some other scriptures and verify this and show it to you. But whatever you consider the most, your heart will become sensitive to. Whatever you fail to consider, your heart will become hardened to. See, this is one of the definitions of hardened. When you apply it to your heart, it means to be insensitive. So a hardened heart is an insensitive heart. Whatever you fail to consider, your heart just automatically, this is the way that God made us. You can say, well, I don't like that, and I don't agree with this, and I don't believe that. It doesn't change anything any more than you saying that you don't believe that the uh, earth revolves around the sun. It's just the way that God made it. You can't change it. You can sit there and say that whatever you want. You can say that you don't believe the stars are out during the daytime. It doesn't mean that they aren't there. It just means you can't see them because of the bright sunlight. The truth is there are certain things that God created, and you just have to accept it as the way it is. You may not like the fact that if you fail to consider something, your heart just automatically starts being desensitized to it. You may not like that. You may say, I think it should operate differently, but I'm telling you, this is what the Word of God teaches. This is what this verse is saying. The reason their heart became hardened, according to Mark 6:52, was because they considered not the miracle of the loaves. So here's a statement that whatever you fail to consider, your heart will become hardened to. Whatever you consider, your heart becomes sensitive to. That's simple, but it's profound. Here's what the word consider means. According to the dictionary, the word consider means to study, ponder, deliberate, or examine. Now that is really simple. The word consider, according to the dictionary, means to study, ponder, deliberate, or examine. Or I believe that a scriptural terminology that is exactly the same thing is the word meditate. Whatever you meditate on, whatever you study, whatever you ponder, or you could say it this way, whatever you focus on, whatever you're occupied with the most. You know what? When it comes to your heart... Quality time is not a substitute for quantity of time. It takes a volume of time to get your heart established. It takes a volume of time and effort to get your heart sensitive. You have to focus and be focused, fixed upon the things of God to have your heart sensitive to God. Now that's really an important truth. You know, the Apostle Paul was making this exact same point over in Philippians. Let me real quickly just turn over here to um, Philippians 
And in chapter 3, he was talking about his secrets of how he was so successful. And in Philippians 3.13, he says, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto the things which are before, I press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Now, there's a lot of things I could say out of that, but the point I was wanting you to see here in relation to your heart It says, this one thing I do. In other words, Paul was focused, occupied, dominated by seeking God and seeking after the prize that God had set before him. The scriptural terminology for that, according to what we're talking about, is that Paul was considering only this one thing I do. He was focused upon God. And because of that, whatever you focus your attention upon, you become sensitive to. Whatever you fail to focus upon, you become hardened to. And it's just a law of nature. It's the way God made us. He made us this way for our own benefit. Because originally, He created Adam and Eve to be totally focused upon Himself. He created us to love Him. Every day, Adam and Eve met with God in the cool of the evening. Their whole focus was upon God. And He created our hearts that way because, you know, in the fallen world that we live in, there is so much going on around us. And there are so many different voices. And if you were just influenced by every single thing that you saw and heard, did you know it would be impossible to keep your heart stayed on the things of God? It would be impossible to stay on track because today with our communication and all the things that we have, you are being inundated with opposing views and different things. And if there is just some kind of a chemical response that when somebody says this, it automatically programs into your mind, changes your heart, and you're influenced by it. If that's the way that it was, it would be impossible for any person to be sane today with so many different voices coming at us all of the time. But God has created us so that regardless of what's going on around us, regardless of how much pressure is being put upon you or how much different information you get, you can choose what you focus upon. You may hear different things, but you can choose to focus your heart and just stay focused on the truth of God. And by doing so, you could be in the midst of a situation where everybody around you is speaking something contrary and you could take the truths of God's Word and keep your heart focused upon it and never deviate, never get off course because you have the ability to choose the way that your heart is. You do not have to just automatically be influenced. Now see, this is one of the major, major, major differences I hold with uh, psychology today because they will basically say that we're all a product of our environment, period, that that's it. You have no control in the thing. But I'm telling you, that's not true. We were made in the image of God, and one of the defenses that God gave us is that as your heart goes, that's the way that your experience, your life will go, and you have the right to choose. Whatever you consider controls what your heart is sensitive to. The things that you consider, study, ponder, deliberate, examine, meditate upon, focus upon, are occupied with, any of those words, whatever your heart is focused on, your heart becomes sensitized to that. Whatever you fail to consider, your heart becomes hardened to. 
And there needs to be a distinction made here between considering and just having knowledge about. For instance, here's what I'm talking about. You could take scriptures that say, by the stripes of Jesus, we are healed. First uh, Peter 2.24 puts it into the past tense. By the stripes of Jesus, we were healed. Past tense. There are many people that have heard that scripture. They have that knowledge. But you know what? They may spend, I don't know, five minutes, ten minutes during a message sometime hearing somebody talk about that. And so they kind of grab that truth. They hold on to that scripture and they've got it. It's still in their memory banks. They could quote the scripture to you, but they may not spend more than five minutes in a year thinking on the fact that by the stripes of Jesus, I was healed. And then they spend the rest of their time watching television, reading books, magazines, health issues, different things where people are constantly saying the opposite of that, that we aren't healed, that you know what, there's an increase of heart disease, there's an increase of obesity, there's an increase of sugar diabetes and high blood pressure and have you got this and it's flu season and have you got it yet? Not will you get it? Some people don't get it, but no, they imply that you will get it. Have you got it yet? And you hear a million voices countering the fact that you're healed by the stripes of Jesus. So you spend, let's just say five minutes a year thinking on by his stripes I was healed and you spend thousands of hours a year hearing people's testimonies of how they weren't healed, how this person died, how this report says this is going to happen. You hear things in your own body. Your doctor told you you've got this problem. You listen to Aunt Susie talk about how Uncle Fred died. (laughs) You all understand what I'm saying? You just hear a million hours of negative things, five minutes a year, thinking about by his stripes we're healed. Now let me ask you, what is your heart going to be dominated by, controlled by, sensitive to? Well, I can guarantee you it's going to be what you have been programming it with, what it's been focused on the majority of the time. You may still retain in your mind if somebody says, well, have you ever heard the scripture, Isaiah 53, 5, that by his stripes we were healed? And you say, oh yeah, I know that. I know exactly where that is. You could quote that. You could quote it where it was quoted in the New Testament, Matthew 8, 17. You could quote 1 Peter 2, 24. You know all of these things. The knowledge may be there, but that knowledge isn't impacting you. It's not changing you because you have spent five minutes thinking about that positive thing and a thousand minutes thinking of the negative things. The thing that you think upon the most is going to control what your heart is dominated by and controlled by. Let me turn back over to Mark chapter 8. And Jesus said this in Mark chapter 8, verse 17. It says, When Jesus knew it, he saith unto them, Why reason ye, because ye have no bread? Perceive ye not yet? That's one of the symptoms, not being able to perceive Neither understand, that's another symptom, you can't understand. Even if somebody shows you something and you can see it, you can't understand it. And then it says, have ye your heart yet hardened? Then in verse 18, having eyes, see ye not? That's another symptom of a hardened heart. You just can't perceive, you can't see spiritual things. It's like you're blind spiritually. It says, and having ears, hear ye not? Spiritually speaking, you just can't hear the voice of God. It's like... God doesn't talk to you. That's a symptom of a hardened heart. 
And do ye not remember? That's another symptom of a hardened heart is an inability to remember. And then in verse 19, he says, When I break the five loaves among 5,000, how many baskets full of fragments took ye up? And they said unto him, Twelve. And when the seven among 4,000, how many baskets full of fragments took ye up? And they said, Seven. And he said unto them, How is it that ye do not understand? In other words, Jesus was describing symptoms or conditions, characteristics of a hardened heart. And he listed all of these things, not being able to remember. And then he says, now don't you remember when I fed the 5,000 men with five loaves and two fish? How many baskets full of fragments did you take up? And they said 12. And he says, and when I fed the 4,000, how many baskets full of fragments took you up? And they said seven. My point is, they had knowledge. They still had information. They could answer the questions. But those questions, the answers, weren't impacting their life. It's just in a sense as if they didn't know the answer because the answer wasn't changing them. It wasn't affecting their life. And brothers and sisters, there's a lot of people that when I say, do you know that it's God's will to heal? You can quote a scripture and you say, oh yeah. 1 Peter 2.24, by his stripes we were healed. 3 John verse 2, beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health even as thy soul prospers. You can quote scriptures. You have knowledge. But because you don't focus on that, because you don't meditate on it, study, ponder, deliberate, and examine it, because you aren't staying your heart upon that, instead you just take this little piece of information and file it away in your memory bank somewhere and then you occupy yourself with the same junk, the same unbelief, the same doubt and fear that everybody else listens to, your heart has become hardened towards that truth. And the, and the end effect is, it's just the same as if you didn't even know the truth. You know, the Bible says, Jesus was speaking in John chapter 8, verse 32, and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. People often quote that, take it out of context and miss some of the context that really empowers that and makes it work in our life. And they just say that the truth shall make you free. No, you can have truth and it won't make you free until you know it. And this isn't talking about just mental assent, just an an intellectual knowledge that if somebody says, can you quote a scripture about Jesus healing and you can quote the scripture? It's not that type of knowledge. It's talking about experiential knowledge, a heart level knowledge to where you understand it. You're applying it to your life. It's working. The life that is in that scripture is being released into you and producing results. Did you know that it's that kind of knowing that releases the power of God. And the way you get that power out of the Word is to be focused upon it, to do what it says in Mark chapter 6, to consider. When you consider, study, ponder, deliberate, examine, focus on. As Paul said in Philippians chapter 3 verse 13, this one thing I do, when you are single-minded in your focus... Then the scripture that has all of the life of God in it will release its full potential to you. But when you just hear the scripture and you only get a surface level and you haven't meditated in it until that power is released into your life, in a sense you're worse off than if you didn't know scripture. Because if you didn't know it, you wouldn't be confused. 
you would say, well, I didn't know that. I didn't know it was God's will. You didn't know how to do something. But what's worse is when you hear the truth and you have that truth enough that you can retain it and still quote it. You, you have at least recognition that it's the truth. But then if you neglect it and don't stay focused upon it, you know what? Your heart just instantly begins to start being hardened to the things that you don't consider. That's just real simple. And that's what's happening with a lot of people. There's a lot of Christians that you have some truths from God's Word and you know that it's God's will for you to be well. You know it's God's will for you to prosper. You know that God wants you to have joy and peace and that God is your answer to everything. And you have that knowledge. But most of us spend so much time over here in the world system totally dominated by all of this unbelief that even though this knowledge is here, we are insensitive to it. It's not dominating and controlling our life because we spend such little amount of time focused on God in comparison to all of this other stuff that we're doing over there. I don't know if you've understood that or not, but that is a powerful, powerful truth. And let me go back to our original scripture that we started with. Mark chapter 6, verse 52 The reason their heart became hardened was because they considered not the miracle of the loaves. Now, this is referring back to earlier in the same day where Jesus had fed 5,000 men, not including all the women and children, with five loaves and two fish, a little tiny lunch that a lad had with him. And he fed this multitude of people, gave them seconds and thirds, as much as they want, and he had more food left over than when he started. And it says, because they didn't consider the miracle of the loaves, their heart was hard. Now, what was it that caused them not to be thinking about this awesome display of God's power? Now, see, if they'd have been thinking this way, if they'd have been thinking about how powerful it was, that Jesus could take virtually nothing, something that wouldn't even satisfy an adult man, And you could feed 5,000 adult men, plus women and children and all of this, and give them as much as they want and have more left over than when you started. If somebody could do that, then you know what the logical thing to think is? That if Jesus could do that, he could walk on this water, he could do anything that they needed. See, that would have been logical. They wouldn't have been surprised. They should have been expecting Jesus to come. So what was it that turned them away from thinking about the awesome display of God's power? It wasn't out-and-out sin. It wasn't that they were reading Playboy magazines, that they were watching X-rated videos. It wasn't that they got into a fight on the boat and that they were arguing about something or plotting something ungodly. It wasn't any of the quote-unquote things that we call sin. Now, this is an important point. Because when you start talking about things that harden our hearts towards God, most Christians would just immediately think about, well, it's sin. It's my total rebellion towards God. There's some area. Maybe you're into pornography over here and you're thinking, boy, if I'm into pornography, this is going to harden my heart towards God. Well, that's true. I'm not making light of sin. Sin is one thing that will harden your heart towards God. Hebrews chapter 3 makes that very clear. But sin isn't the only thing that hardens your heart towards God. In this instance, Mark chapter 6, it wasn't the disciples' pornography, lying, stealing, drunkenness, dope addiction, or any of these things that hardened their heart towards God. You know what it was? It was them being preoccupied with trying to save their life in the midst of a terrible storm. 
It was just daily life. It was natural occurrences. Being occupied with survival. That'll harden your heart towards God. It's very similar to when you work. And uh, many of you have experienced this. That it, Say, for instance, if you're working with a hoe or something and you don't have gloves on and you work, did you know that you will rub that skin and it'll get raw, but then it'll begin to st- it'll put over a layer of skin. And if you keep doing this and keep doing it, your hands can become so calloused that no longer you, do you need gloves or anything like that. Your hands just become hardened. Well, in a sense, that's what happens to your heart. Every time you fail to focus on what God has shown you, every time you neglect that, it's just like there's a thin layer that comes over your heart and makes you just a little bit more calloused, a little bit less sensitive to God. And it may be unnoticeable at first, but then you neglect it again and you're a little bit more insensitive. And then you do that day after day and week after week and month after month. And without you even realizing it, a year or two years down the road, something that God had spoken into your life that at one time was so powerful, you thought, I'll never get over this. You may still have the knowledge and be able to say what it was that God showed you, but it just doesn't penetrate your heart. Your heart has become calloused. No longer is your heart influenced or controlled by that. Man, that is powerful truth. If you can understand what I'm saying right here, this ought to be answering some questions because some of you are saying you don't understand why you aren't getting the right results. You say, well, I know what the Word says and I quoted it and I prayed and I asked God, how come I am not as in love with the Lord as I once was? How come I'm not as excited about the Lord as I once was? How come this truth isn't influencing my heart the way that it once did. It's because your heart has become calloused. Over a period of time, through neglect, you have added layer after layer after layer of neglect and callous, and your heart has become calloused, hardened, insensitive. And you can still retain the knowledge, but you aren't getting the right results. You know how you change that? You start focusing again on what it was that God has spoken to you and what He's done. You start returning to your first love and through time you start focusing your attention back on the things of God and layer by layer by layer these things begin to come off and before you know it you're back to a place to where you are once again passionate and sensitive to and being dominated and controlled by the things of God. Now that's really important. And here's a point that I want to make. Out of Hebrews chapter 3, it's talking about this exact same thing. It says in Hebrews chapter 3, in verse 7, it says, Wherefore the Holy Ghost saith, Today if you will hear His voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation. You know, I could preach on these verses for an hour or two. I've really got so much to say. I want to hurry through this. But think about this. It says, harden not your hearts. Our hearts are hardened through our choices. It's not just something that somebody else does. This says, harden not your heart. If you were to diagram this sentence so that it was grammatically correct, you would have to put you as the understood subject of this sentence. You're the one that controls your heart. Nobody else can make your heart hard. Life is coming against us. Circumstances come against us. There's all kinds of things that vie for our attention and take away our focus from the things of God. So 
Yes, there are enemies and there are things that are coming against us, but you're the one that has the establishing witness. You're the one that controls it. This says, harden not your heart. You harden not your heart. You have control over this. Some of you don't like that because that puts responsibility on you, but this is the only way that you will ever gain control of your heart is to accept that it's your responsibility. You can control what occupies your attention. You know, every television set that I've ever seen has an on and off switch on it. It's not just automatically in your face and forcing you to take it. Now, of course, I believe you ought to be watching my program. Amen. (laughs) And I know that may sound self-serving, but there are good things on television. But you know what? There is a bunch of junk on television. And some people say, well, man, I spent this time. I just don't know why I did it. As if you aren't responsible. You're the one that turned that television set on. It doesn't force itself into your life. You are the one that has the ability to harden or not harden your heart. So it says, harden not your hearts as it was in the provocation in the day of temptation in the wilderness when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works forty years. Wherefore, I was grieved with that generation and said they do always err in their heart and they have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath that they shall not enter in to my rest." Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. If I had more time to develop this, I believe I could make it clear. But if you put all of this together, it's using this phrase, evil heart of unbelief, synonymous with hardened heart. If your heart is hardened, insensitive, cold, unfeeling, or unyielding towards God, then the automatic byproduct of that is unbelief, an evil heart of unbelief. Man, that's strong. But you know what? That's exactly where we are. And notice that in this instance, it's talking about sin. It's talking about casting aside sin and things like that. So let me make a statement here. Sin will harden your heart towards God. If you're living in pornography, if you're living in strife, If you are lying and stealing, if you're doing dope, alcohol, whatever it is, those things are going to put layer after layer after layer of callousness and hardness between you and God. It will make you spiritually dull, spiritually retarded towards God. So that's why you need to live holy. Now, I preach on the grace of God constantly, and I'm saying that our actions don't change God's heart towards us. And I believe that 100%. But our actions will change our heart towards God. If your actions are sin, then it will add layer after layer after layer of callousness and hardness between you and God. And it'll make you insensitive and unfeeling and unyielding towards God. And so don't live in sin. Sin will harden your heart towards God. That's why you live holy, not to gain God's approval, but after you have God's approval, you don't ever want to lose the recognition and the acknowledgement of that. And you don't want to fall back into a place to where you are once again insensitive to God. And so you live holy to protect your heart, not to gain God's heart. Major point. So I don't back off of that. That's true. Sin will harden your heart towards God. But here is a major revelation. Boy, this needs to be shouted from the house stops. It's not only sin that hardens your heart towards God. 
Just everyday living can harden your heart towards God. Anything that occupies your attention can harden your heart towards God. You know, here I am. I'm a minister. I spend the vast majority of my time. Like I got up this morning at, I think it was 6 o'clock, and I got ready. I had to drive an hour into the office. I had been uh, ministering the Word of God all day long, making television programs and doing things like this. You would think that, man, my heart ought to be real sensitive to God. But I've also got other things. I've already had a couple of meetings today. I've got two more meetings when I get through with this taping. And then I've been gone for so long, my place at home has to have some things taken care of. You know what? I've, I can get to where I can be occupied with administrative things that go with this ministry, the things that I have to do at home, getting things done. And you know what? Those things can harden my heart towards God. As a matter of fact, let me give you an example that one time I was actually ministering in Phoenix, Arizona. It was actually in Mesa, Arizona. And I was in a, uh, the Mesa Community Center right there next to the Sheridan Hotel. And I was holding a meeting. We had about 300 people in a morning session. I was teaching through the Book of Romans. I was teaching three sessions a day for five days. I had just come from another meeting. And it had been weeks that I had been ministering two and three times every day for a week. And in between, I would eat, I would sleep, and I didn't have time to pray, to study the Word, to do anything. And you know what? Because of that, I was so burned out that literally I was standing behind the pulpit and I had this thought come to me as I was talking. And I said, you know what? If I wasn't the one that was preaching and holding this meeting, I'd leave. I am bored. And that wasn't because of sin. It wasn't because I was out into pornography. I was fighting and rebelling, drinking, smoking. It wasn't any of those things. You know what was hardening my heart? The ministry. I was so occupied talking to other people about God that I didn't have any time for God myself. I wasn't spending time in the Word and praying because I was so occupied with stuff. Now, if being preoccupied with ministering to other people can harden your heart, then just think about what being preoccupied with your job, with all of your activities, with shuttling your kids here and there. It doesn't have to be sin that hardens your heart towards God. Anything that occupies you to an extreme will make you insensitive towards God. God is still speaking in that still small voice the same way that He spoke to you years ago when you heard, but the difference has been that we have become calloused, insensitive, hardened towards His voice, and we can hear. It's not God who's quit speaking. It's our ears that have waxed dull of hearing. And that's exactly what the Lord said over in Matthew chapter 13 when He was giving this parable of the sower sowing the seed. He administered a rebuke to His disciples and to the nation of Israel as a whole, and He said, this people's heart has waxed gross. Now again, here he is talking about heart. We're talking about a hardened heart. He's talking about your heart. And he says, it has waxed gross. Of course, we know that the word wax means that it has increased. It is a progressively done thing. And that word actually comes from the way that uh, wax candles were made. I don't know if any of you have been to a candle factory, and especially the way that they were made a long time ago, and if you see how that's done. But I've seen these machines where they just take a wick, a string, 
and they attach it to this thing. They may have 15, 20, or depending on the size uh, machine, it could be even larger than that. But you have these wicks hanging down, and then you have a vat of hot uh, wax. And what this thing does, it just dips that whole thing down in the wax for just a second, and then it'll lift it up, and it'll let it cool for just a second. And you put one thin layer of wax on that wick, and then it dips it again. And it comes up and it cools for a second. Now you got two thin layers and it does it and it just does it over and over and over and over. And that's the way that they made candles a long time ago was you just put layer after layer, a thin layer of wax on there until it eventually formed a candle. And then it would harden and you sell it as a candle. Well, that's exactly the picture that Jesus is saying in Matthew chapter 13 where he says this people's heart has waxed gross. It's not a process that just happens one time like that. You know, it's amazing how many people don't understand this. That not only the Christian life, but everything in your life is a series of choices and decisions. And it's very, very, very seldom one major decision. Now, you may be able to point back to some decision you made that had cataclysmic effects and maybe started a domino effect of failure or something like that. But usually, even in that, if you were to just keep peeling back the layers, you find out the reason you made such a stupid choice or did the wrong thing was because of choices that you had made prior to that. It's layer after layer after layer of doing something until your heart becomes insensitive and you aren't able to hear and perceive and be led by the Lord anymore. And people just ignore this life principle and they think, I just need one word from God to tell me what I need to do to solve this problem. Usually it's not that simple. Usually your problems are more complex than that and it's because you have made multitudes of wrong decisions that have gotten you to a place to where your heart is calloused and insensitive in the way that you are. And so it's not usually a simple thing. It's not just a matter of God healing you or prospering your finances or solving this relationship and keeping the marriage together. It's a multitude of different choices that you've been making that have all piled together to harden your heart and to get you into this situation that you're in. And most people haven't ever seen this. Most people think that if I just don't go out here and dip or cuss or chew or go with those that do, then praise God, I'm fine and my heart will be fine. And they think that as long as they're living a relatively moral life, then everything should be fine. But it's not that way at all. It takes more than just not doing some bad things. It takes an active pursuing and focus on the things of God. As Paul said in Philippians 3.13, I've already used that verse, but he said this one thing I do. If you really want to see God's best in your life, it's going to take more than just not going out and living in sin. It's going to take separation from things that aren't sin, things that may not be wrong in themselves, but things that would just occupy you and keep you from doing one thing. I've given examples of how, you know, I can get so occupied with running this ministry and meeting with people and reviewing this and making projections and, and deciding how we're going to expand and do this and meeting with... I could get so busy doing things that are related to what God has called me to do that I literally don't have any time for God. I could have meetings daylight till dark every day of my life. 
I have people that want to fly me in and pray for somebody and they have a desperate situation. Somebody's dead or dying. And you know what? I'm not insensitive to that. But I literally have so many requests that I could be on an airplane every minute of my life flying to minister to somebody and do all of this stuff. And you know what? I just can't do it. I'm one person. I cannot do all of that stuff. And so what I'm saying is, if I could become so occupied with praying with people, with flying to minister to someone, with counseling with somebody, with dealing with their problems, which are all good things and things that I'm called to do. If I, could, if I have to limit that so that I can have some time where my heart is stayed upon God and I'm focused upon God and I'm praying and listening to God personally, not just talking about Him to somebody else, if, I, if those things will harden my heart, well, then what do you think watching as the stomach turns on television could do to your heart? What do you think watching people lie and cheat and steal and homosexuality and murder and all of this kind of stuff, how do you think that that could affect your heart? How do you think that just being so occupied with running your children around so that you don't have any time for anything, you don't even have time for yourself, much less for your relationship with God, When you ask the average person how they are, I bet you 90% of the time the question is going to be answered by something about, man, I'm busy. I am so busy. I am too busy. It's always about busy. It's really popular. Matter of fact, you could be made fun of if you're a person that just sits on the front porch in a swing looking out, you know, at the uh, sunset or something like that. People think, well, boy, you're wasting your time. You ought to do something constructive with it. You know what? You need time to where you can just sit down. And like it says in Psalms 46.10, I believe it is, it says, be still and know that I am God. You need some downtime, not to where you're just goofing off, wasting time, but to where you're just meditating, focusing on the things of God. Sitting down and watching three, four hours worth of television a day, every day of your life will harden your heart towards God. Even if it's Christian television, Did you know what? There needs to be limits on that. There's a balance. Now, obviously, I think it's good for you to watch my Christian television program. I'm not saying that television is of the devil or anything like that. But I'm saying that even on Christian television, you know, I don't know how to say this in a way that you may not perceive this the way that I'm intending. I don't mean to be critical, but man, there's stuff on Christian television that I've turned it on and I think, man, if I was a non-Christian, that would make me want to not become a Christian. The antics, the manipulation, the tricks, the religiousness of some people. You know what? You just can't watch everything on Christian television or listening to everything on Christian radio and retain a sensitive heart towards God. So I'm trying to get across the point that you don't have to be a God-hater a rebellious towards God to have a hardened heart. You can be occupied even with Christian things, certainly with secular things, other movies, television, different things, with work, with family. Everything has to be done in moderation. Jesus has to have the preeminence in everything. And if you don't maintain those proper priorities, just everyday normal life can harden your heart towards God. Now that is a first-class revelation. Now don't misunderstand what I'm saying. All of us have families. All of us have jobs. All of us have responsibilities. And I do not believe that God wants us to live in a monastery. 
I believe that this whole monastery concept where you feel like that the world is just total evil and you retreat from it and separate yourself and never interact, never have any influence on anybody, I believe that that is an ungodly concept. Jesus said we are the salt of the earth in Matthew chapter 5. And for the salt to do any good, it's got to get out of the salt shaker. I don't believe that we ought to spend all of our time every day, all day in church. I don't believe that we ought to refuse to have any contact with a person who's not a fanatic. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying that everything needs to be done in moderation. And we aren't living a moderate life. Most of us have our lives so crammed full that it's not healthy. It's not healthy physically and it certainly isn't healthy spiritually We sometimes feel like that we're doing God a great service by having a five or ten minute devotion in the morning and that that makes us a super saint. And then we go out and wash the rest of the day down with 15 or 16 hours worth of total carnality and think that somehow or another we're supposed to still prosper as a Christian. Now let me make it clear. I don't believe that you have to sit here with your nose in the Bible all day long reading like this. You know, if a mother of two or three kids and she's trying to keep these kids at home and clean her house and be the wife and the mother that she's supposed to be and if she just lets them run wild because she's in the prayer closet and she's praying or she's studying the Word or doing a Greek or Hebrew study and her kids are out playing in the street or killing the neighbor's dog or something, you know what, that's irresponsible. I'm not saying you have to sit there in a prayer closet and have your nose in the Word, but you do have to keep your heart stayed upon God. I'm going to be talking about how to do this, but I'm just establishing the principle. You know, if I have a weakness watching television, uh, probably my biggest weakness is the Roadrunner cartoon. I just love Wild E. Coyote. I've had some people challenge me on that and say, well, he's a loser. He never does anything. Well, the part that I like about him is that this guy gets blown up. He gets dropped off cliffs. Rocks land on him. Everything in the world happens to him, and he is the eternal optimist. He gets up and trots right off and goes and does something else. I just like that attitude. I think the Roadrunner cartoon is great. For those of you in India and Africa and Europe that don't get it, you're missing something that's really great. I love the Roadrunner cartoon. So I don't believe that it's sin. I don't think it's terrible sin. I don't think God's mad at me. I don't think God loves me less because I watched the Roadrunner cartoon. I don't think that there's anything evil about it. But I will say this, that you know what? It's not building me up in the Lord. It's not helping me in my relationship with God. It's not making me a more effective minister. I don't think that it's sin, but I do believe that I have to do it in limited doses. You know what? If I was to sit down... And because the Roadrunner cartoon, I don't believe, is sin. And if I just sat down and for eight hours a day watched Roadrunner cartoon, you know what? It may not be sin. God's not mad at me. I haven't filled myself with things that are of the devil. But I've just wasted that time. And even though it may not be sin, if I fill myself with that, then the Bible says basically that what you're full of is what's going to come out of you. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. 
And if I am full of wily e. Coyote and the Roadrunner and all of a sudden cancer knocks on my door and the doctor tells me I'm going to die and I go to release what I've been filling myself with and out comes meep, meep, I'm in trouble. Amen. <laughs> I'm going to die. I mean, you may not say that it's sin, but I guarantee you I can die because of it. And that's the way that I feel about things. There's a lot of things that we do that you can't say, well, this is sin. And people come to me and say, well, you're telling me that I ought to be more focused on the Lord. I don't watch the X-rated movies. I don't watch the terrible things. I watch these little comedies. I do this and that. But if you're spending three, four, five hours a day watching stuff on television, even if it's not sin, which I would, I would take issue with you that you could find five hours worth of television a day that wouldn't have a lot of sin and unbelief in it that's damaging to you. But even if you could find five hours worth of television a day that wasn't... Well, let me say it this way. If you could find five hours worth of programming that wasn't sin, well, then the commercials would kill you because the commercials would be laden with sin They have all kinds of sexual content and lust and stuff in it. And so I just don't believe you could find five hours worth of television that wouldn't be killing you. But even if you could, if it was just normal, natural things, but if you occupied yourself with that, and if you spend five hours a day filling yourself with stuff that isn't sin, but it's just trivial, then I can guarantee you it's going to hamper your spiritual growth, because that is five hours a day that you could have spent seeking the Lord, meditating on the Word of God, making your heart sensitive, taking layer after layer after layer of callousness away from your heart. And I can promise you that if you do that, even if it's not sin, you're going to be behind the person who spends their time seeking God and sensitizing their heart to God by being in His presence and praying and studying the Word and fellowshipping with other believers. Can you understand the point I'm making? It's not just sin that hardens your heart towards God, but it's just anything. It doesn't have to be sin, just anything that occupies your time. If you are unduly occupied with other things, even if it's not sin, then you're going to be sensitive to it and not sensitive to God. You might be a sports fan, that there's nothing wrong with sports in its place. But if you're one of these that knows the name of every person, you know the batting average, the statistics on the passers, the rushers, all of this, and if you know everything that there is to know, and you know the history, and you can win any sports trivia game, I can guarantee you, you're going to have a deficiency in the spiritual realm. Because it takes a lot, a lot, a lot of time to be able to gain that level of proficiency. You know, when we play trivial games, and we do that sometimes, and again, I don't think that games are a waste of time because you know what? You need relationships with people. And I think interaction and the things that go on during a game, I think that that can be positive. So I don't look at that as wasted time. I look at that as family time, as time together with friends. I think those things are important. But when we play some of these games like Trivial Pursuit, you know what? I might as well be a fly on the wall for all the good that I do. I just, I don't know a lot about stuff. I don't know the names of actors. I haven't seen the vast majority of movies. I don't read the tabloids. I just don't know a a lot about anything. Now, if you have a Bible trivia game, I can shine. (laughs) I can win those because that's where I focus my attention. 
And some of you are thinking, oh, I don't want to be like that. Man, I enjoy this other stuff. Well, it's not sin. You can still go to heaven and know all about all of the sports and all of the movies and all of the actors and all of the entertainment gossip. You can still go to heaven and know that stuff. As a matter of fact, I believe you'll get there quicker. Because you know what? When cancer comes knocking on your door, you're going to have a hardened heart and be unable to draw on the power of God and receive the healing. And so you'll die and go to heaven quicker. Yeah, you can go to heaven and not be a fanatic and turned on to God, but I'm telling you, as much as you can, within reason, there's a balance to this. You need, a, you need to balance your time with your family. You don't need to, your kids to feel like that God has stolen away their father or mother. It's not wrong to spend time with your family, with your kids, but I'm saying that there is a balance and every one of us, if we were to really adopt the attitude of what I'm talking about right here, we could find a lot of time that we spend sitting down and reading the newspaper, which again, I'm not against a newspaper. A newspaper isn't sin. There's a lot of sin in a newspaper, but you could be discriminating and look through there. I'll read a newspaper once every three weeks or a month or two months. I scan it. I never just sit down and read everything. But I'm not saying that it's sin to read a newspaper. But you know what? If you are so pressed that you don't have any time, that is a luxury that you could pass up. And you could spend an hour a day or whatever time it is that you spend reading the newspaper. And you could use that time to focus on God. And if you would do that, I guarantee you, your heart would start being sensitized to God. You may have other habits that you do that they aren't sin in themselves, but you could spend that time focused upon God. You have to have priorities. You know, there's nothing wrong with sleeping. You need to sleep. But Jesus, when he was so pressed upon by the people that he didn't even have time to eat or sleep, I mean, he wasn't getting any rest. Did you know that there's instances where Jesus would get up and go out? He would quit sleeping and wake up early in the morning and go out and fellowship with his father. You have to establish priorities. There's nothing wrong with sleeping. You need to get a good night's sleep. But if push comes to shove, and if you cannot find any time to devote to the things of God, then you'd be better off to get up and not sleep and seek the Lord during that time. Man, if you were that committed to it, I bet you you could find some time during your day. Most of us don't realize that to have a sensitive heart to God, it not only takes quality time, but it takes quantity time. It takes focus. You know, the strength of a laser lies in the fact that all of that light is concentrated into a single beam. If you just take normal sunlight and if it's diffused, then you know what? It won't do any damage. But you can take a magnifying glass and you could take the same sunlight that other people can stand out in, and you could take that magnifying glass, and if you focus it at the right length on your skin, the same light that is actually healthy for you, that will give you vitamin D and help you, and it's essential to life, that same light concentrated into a single beam could burn you, could burn a hole right through you, could do damage to you. You can do the same thing with the magnifying glass, put it on a piece of paper, and it could be sitting out in the sunlight and it wouldn't have any effect on it at all. But you use that magnifying glass and focus that light into a single beam and it'll start that piece of paper on fire. The strength of a laser lies in the fact that all of that energy is focused. And this is what the Apostle Paul said, Philippians 3.13, this one thing I do. You've got to be focused 
If you really want to have maximum effect, you've got to be focused. And you cannot be a successful, absolutely victorious Christian if your attention is so diffused that you spend five minutes a week or an hour a week at church focused on God and then the rest of your time, your heart, your attention is totally focused on other things. Now, I'm not saying that you don't work. I'm not saying that you don't have hobbies, that you don't have a family and things like that. But even while you're at work, you can be focused on God. I know some of you are saying, oh, it can't happen. But let me just go back to Mark chapter 6 again. And I've mentioned this, but I want to go into further detail and just show you what happened with the disciples. They had seen Jesus feed the multitude. And then it says in Mark chapter 6 and verse 45, straightway he constrained his disciples to get into the ship and to go unto the other side before unto Bethsaida while he sent away the people. He compelled his disciples The word compel, constrain, means that there was resistance on their part. They didn't want to get into this ship. Now, this is kind of subtle, and most people just read through this passage of Scripture and don't think about it, but that word is there for a reason. He had to constrain his disciples. You know why they weren't wanting to get into this ship? Well, it looks to me obvious that the answer is these guys grew up as fishermen on the Sea of Galilee, their life was dependent upon these physical, natural things. And you know what? They were sensitive to the fact that a storm was brewing. Now, many of us in our modern-day lives lose this because we, we turn on the television and listen to a weatherman to tell us what the weather is going to be like. But you know what? I, I pastored a group of people in Pritchett, Colorado, And I was raised in the city, and this was new to me. But when I got there, these people would tell me and say, well, it's going to rain. And I'd say, oh, did you listen to the weather or see something on television about it raining? And they said, no, I don't watch the weather. I said, well, how do you know it's going to rain? And they said, there's an increase of humidity in the air. And, you know, at first, I thought this was like a wives' fable. I thought they were going by whether their bunions hurt or, you know, something like that. I didn't understand what they were doing. But after being around them for a while, you know what? These people had sensitized themselves to the same thing that I feel. I could tell a difference in the humidity, but I honestly just didn't perceive it. I didn't understand. I didn't think about it. These people, their whole life was based on whether, you know, they could predict the weather and whether they could get their cows in before the storm hit and things like this. And because of this, these people could predict the weather better than any weatherman ever could. I mean, they never missed it. They knew what was happening. They could tell the difference in the barometric pressure. The point that I'm making is, I believe that these people, back in this day and time, they could tell that a storm was brewing. And the Sea of Galilee is surrounded by mountains on, on, uh, what would that be, the north east side. And storms would come over those mountains and then swoop down onto that lake. And so they came so quickly that you had to really pay attention to the weather or you could get out in the middle of that lake and you could drown. And so I believe that the reason that he had to constrain them to get into the ship was because their natural senses could tell them that problems were coming and they didn't want to get out there. But to their credit, they did obey Jesus against their better judgment. They went ahead and did it. 
But I believe that because they could tell what was happening, they could tell that a storm was coming. They knew they were entering into danger. You know what this did? It took their attention away from the miracles that Jesus had performed, away from how powerful, how in control of everything Jesus was, and they got their attention off of that and they got it onto these physical, natural things. Then when the storm happened, I believe that they were drawing on all of the knowledge that they had ever gained as a fisherman. They were using every skill, everything that they had. They were trimming the sail. They had the nose of the boat, or how would you say that? You can tell I'm not a sailor. The uh, bow of the boat pointed into the waves so that it wouldn't topple it over. They were probably bailing water. They were rowing with all that they were worth. They were using every skill that they had ever learned as a sailor to try and save their life. There's nothing wrong with that. Did you know what? If I was to go out with you in a boat, I would want you to have some of that knowledge. There's nothing wrong with this knowledge. In its place, it's good. But you know what? Every one of us is going to face things that sooner or later, God is going to ask you to do something that will go against your carnal knowledge. And if you can't switch from being controlled by just physical, natural things and move over into the supernatural things, if you are so established in the carnal that you can't get outside of it into the supernatural, then I can guarantee you, you're going to fail. If you are so established in physical, natural things, maybe you're a doctor or a nurse and you have all of this medical training and there's nothing wrong with that in its place, but I can promise you, you're going to face something either in your life or in somebody else's life that your training will not be able, it won't be adequate to deal with. And if you are just locked in, like you have blinders on and you can't go beyond just the physical, natural truths that you've been taught into the spiritual truths of God's Word, then you're going to die or you're going to see somebody else die. You have to be able to go beyond this physical, natural realm. There's nothing wrong with having physical, natural knowledge as long as it's not dominant, predominant in your life. You know, if you were driving a car, if you were going to drive me to the airport somewhere, I don't want you to drive by faith. I don't want you to keep your eyes closed and say, I'm just believing God to get us to the airport. No, you need some physical, natural knowledge of how a car works and how to drive and drive defensively. And I guarantee you, I would want you to use that natural knowledge. But if you came into some situation where maybe somebody just pulled out in front of you, I would love to have you to be able to switch at an instant like that from just operating in the natural into the spiritual where you could call out the name of Jesus or draw on the power of God and God could speak a word to you and you could respond that would save us from having a wreck and getting killed. If you're going to fly me somewhere in an airplane, I want you to know how to fly that airplane. I've flown in airplanes where people didn't know how to fly and I had to take over and fly for them. And man, it's a miracle that we survived. (laughs) It's happened. But anyway, I want you to have the ability to fly. But you know what? If you come into some situation where it's beyond your human ability and if we're in the natural going to die, I would love to have you to be able to know how to speak in tongues and to draw on the power of God and go beyond just the natural. See, these disciples, it wasn't sinful things that hardened their heart towards God. It was just physical, natural things that in their place were good, 
but they were just preoccupied with them. They were so focused on the storm, so focused on what their daddy taught them, so focused on just the natural things that they couldn't see into the spiritual realm. They couldn't expect anything supernatural to come from God. And because of it, if it would have been left up to them, they would have drowned. And Jesus reproved them for having a hardened heart. If that's true of these disciples, then I can guarantee you it's true of us. And there are many of you watching this program right now that you're good people, that you love God, you love your family, you love other people, you're moral, but you know what? You are so preoccupied with the cares of this life, the deceitfulness of riches, and the lust of other things that it is choking your heart. It's hardening your heart towards God And you aren't getting the right results just because you are giving such little attention to the spiritual things and so much preeminence to all of the physical, natural, carnal things. If you want a sensitive heart towards God, you're going to have to reverse that.